0: And welcome to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in our Modern World. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship and the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie. This week's topic is the many faces of peace. Please welcome Reverend George Wolfe.
1: Hello and welcome to Converging Streams. Today we are going to be examining the concept of peace and see how that concept can be defined in different ways. In the Gospel of John from the Christian tradition, Jesus says to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. It's a very comforting phrase, speaking to his disciples. And it's generally understood that he's referring to an inner peace. An inner state of peace. Contentment whereby one is living free from inner conflict. Certainly, in the world in which Jesus was teaching, there was not a lot of peace externally. It was a world where there was a great deal of hostility and where there was a great deal of fear, where the Roman Empire ruled with an iron rod. But Jesus left his disciples with that experience of an inner peace which one may have independent of the hostility that may be experienced around oneself in the real world. Now, in the Bhagavad Gita, from the Hindu tradition, there's another verse which defines inner peace, and this verse is found in chapter 2 of the Bhagavad Gita, verse 70, where Lord Krishna says, He attains peace into whom all desires flow, as waters into the sea, which, though ever being filled is ever motionless, and not he who lusts after desires. Now this particular verse is defining inner peace as a condition where one is free from desire or craving. Here desire is usually interpreted as meaning craving. Because if you're in a state of craving, you feel separated from something that you need. And that separation is not a state of unity. There is an anxiety there, a longing for something outside yourself. And so there is a lack of fulfillment. And in that lack of fulfillment, there cannot be complete inner peace. That state of personal peace is one where one has removed conflict from within oneself. Now, I teach a course in Peace Studies at Ball State University. And in addition to personal peace, there are other ways of defining peace there is the concept of what's called negative peace. Negative peace is generally defined as the absence of war or the absence of hostility. Or you could also say it's existing, living in a state where one is free from hostilities. That's generally referred to as negative peace. There's another definition of peace, which is called positive peace. Positive peace is different from negative peace in the sense that positive peace simply isn't the absence of war or the absence of hostility. Positive peace exists when there is a cooperative relationship, an ongoing cooperative relationship between the two parties, whether it be two individuals, whether it be two families or social groups, whether it be between two nations. It's interesting because when you hear politicians talk about war and peace, some of which may favor going to war. In in doing so, they're seeking to go to war to establish peace. But the politicians that are in favor of war are generally thinking in terms of negative peace, whereas peace advocates or people who want to build cooperative relationships are talking about peace as defined by positive peace. And they're, in their debate with one another, it's very clear that a lot of confusion and misunderstanding is being caused by the fact that they're both defining peace in different ways, um, but they are unaware of the fact that they are coming from different definitions of the concept of peace. So positive peace is one where not only is there an absence of violence, but there also exists a cooperative relationship going on. Two countries, for example, which uh, are engaged in very positive trade relationship are living in a state of positive peace, you could say. Now, there's also the concept of proactive peace. Proactive peace recognizes that you can be in a state of positive peace, only it can sort of occur by accident. It can just happen fortuitously. One country could have a commodity or some sort of natural resource which the other country needs, whereas the other country may have a certain type of food or crop or grain that is needed, and they find just by being in this situation close to one another, trade is convenient, and the cooperative relationship occurs almost fortuitously. They don't really have to work at it very hard. But proactive peace recognizes that that type of cooperative relationship, if it just is allowed to go on and happen by chance, it probably isn't going to last. If you're going to continue in a state of positive peace, you have to be involved in active efforts of peace building. And peace building simply means that you look for ways to strengthen that cooperative relationship and that you do not take the positive peace for granted. And you also try to anticipate where potential future conflicts may arise and build bridges between different groups of people within the society so that the state of positive peace can be sustained. The Muncie Interfaith Fellowship is an example of proactive peace. That is to say, it's a group of individuals coming together, recognizing that if we're going to continue to have a a positive relationship between various religious groups within the greater Muncie community, it is something which needs to be cultivated through dialogue, and we need to get to know each other uh, as friends and understand each other's tradition in such a way so that we can appreciate it and thereby build bridges of understanding so that there is not misunderstanding later on that might come in uh, to destroy that positive peace. Or if there is misunderstanding that arises, we will have a communication system already available through dialogue so that any differences or tensions like that can be addressed and resolved or reconciled. So those are the various ways that we define peace in peace studies personal peace, which is more of a spiritual view of peace, as revealed in the teachings of Jesus and in the teachings of Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita. And then we have concepts of peace which come from peace studies, such as negative peace, the absence of war, positive peace, the building of cooperative relationships, and proactive peace, the intentional effort to sustain those cooperative relationships and develop them further, building bridges of communication and dialogue between diverse groups. Well, just as there are different ways of defining peace, there are also different ways of defining violence. There is, of course, physical violence, which is probably the first thing we think of when we uh, hear the term violence. But in peace studies, there's also what's called psychological violence. Psychological violence might be emotional hostility that one is uh, experiencing a certain type of harassment is psychological violence. Psychological violence can be just as devastating as physical violence. And the problem is too that psychological violence is not usually kept track of very well when a nation goes to war. When you hear about the number of casualties for example in a in a given war such as the war in Iraq, you're given a particular number of people who have been uh, either killed or uh, physically wounded. But the psychological casualties, those people who have not been physically wounded, but nevertheless bring back with them a psychological trauma, those numbers are not so easily understood and quantified. There's a whole realm of psychological violence that goes on between individuals, between people, which uh, is not often recognized adequately. Then there's a third type of violence, which is called structural violence. Now, structural violence is the violence caused by oppression. And the reason why it's called structural violence is there is a particular structure which is imposing the violence, that is to say imposing the oppression, onto a group of people. For example, this structure could be an economic structure. You could have an economic system which is placing a particular group of people in a society at a disadvantage so that they cannot have the same type of equal opportunities as people who may be wealthy you could have a political system where you do not have laws which prevent child labor and thus structural violence is being caused by businesses and factories and corporations that are employing children in their factories and in doing so are creating a situation where they are not allowed to, they are not able to acquire the education they need to have a better life you can have a political system for example which does not allow women the right to vote Uh, or does not allow women to hold certain positions in the government, that it would be a type of structural violence. You could have a religious system which doesn't give women uh, the kind of respect and opportunity that is equal for men. Uh, That's a type of structural violence. Structural violence is when there is an oppression which is brought about by a particular structure, either political, economic, religious, social, or otherwise. And it can be intentional, but it also can be unintentional. There are many instances of structural violence, for example, in the United States, but we generally don't recognize them until they are pointed out by the people that are being affected by those particular laws or policies. We do not do this intentionally in the United States. They're unintentional, but we have to be made aware of them and thus adjust the system so, so we can remove the risk of oppression against a particular group of people. From this discussion of different definitions of peace and different definitions of violence, I come to the conclusion, and I think you will agree, that uh, religion has a particular obligation in society. All religions have a particular obligation in society. That obligation, that charge, which I feel is so important, is that all religions should work towards eliminating all forms of structural violence and be proactive in building positive peace. In addressing and eliminating injustice in the society. Society is in an ongoing state of evolution and change. It is not that we ever reach a point where we will always have proactive peace and that we will always have a society free from structural violence and psychological violence and physical violence. You know, it's something which we constantly have to be vigilant for and working to adjust and modify policies and economic systems that, in, in which we, we live so that human dignity and the true value of life uh, can be lived in its fullness by every person. I'd like to close today by reading a passage in one of the Psalms from the Jewish tradition. A lot of the Psalms, you know, deal with negative peace. You'll find passages where Uh, The psalmist David will be talking about God placing his enemies under his footstool. But this particular psalm is Psalm 104, and this is a psalm which really describes a state of positive peace. And he speaks of God in this way. He sends forth springs in the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They lift up their voice among the branches. God waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. High mountains are for the wild goats. The cliffs are the refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon for the seasons. The sun knows the place of its setting. O Lord, how manifold are thy works! This is George Wolf or Converging Streams.
0: Thank you for listening to Converging Streams, interfaith fellowship in our modern world. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship, with content and financial support from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie and technical support from radio stations WCRD and Work FM. Most importantly, we thank you, our listeners and followers, for your support. To connect with Converging Streams, including listening to our entire catalog of past programs, getting our latest new content, and making your own contribution to this program, visit our website, convergingstreams.org. Converging Streams is produced by Tony Piazza, George Wolfe, and Thomas Perchlik. Thank you for listening, and have a pleasant week.